We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. All right, all right. Uh, every time I come up here, I try to think of, hey, how, how should I introduce myself? How should I start? But man, if you watch Pastor Peter for any length of time, I just can't help but think it's appropriate to say, what is up, Substance Church? You made it to church. If, if I haven't met you, my name is Paul Herkman. I get really the, the, the distinct privilege of being part of the teaching rotation to be a part of my church, being able to communicate is such an honor. And so I want to welcome you here in this room, our downtown campus, our online campus, our Monterey campus, our West campus, any other campuses. All right. So welcome. We are going to have church. And I am thrilled to be here specifically on Serve Weekend uh, because of what it represents. I, I put my, my Serve shirt on. I was just going to wear the Serve shirt, but over the last couple of weeks promoting Serve Day, there has been that promotion reel, and I saw a picture of uh, Pastor Drew at our downtown campus doing his slow-mo curl with those muscles, and I thought, you know what? I should just keep my denim on, all right? So, uh, but I do... There is something about this shirt. I love that it said the iconic red shirt because it makes me want to just go, ah! And the reason for that, if you like sports, I think of Cam Newton or I think of Steph Curry draining a three or Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, or, or your newly selected Zadarius Smith who after he does a sack does this and he stomps and he slaps the ground to say this is a moment. And for me, Serve Day is a moment. I love, I love what it represents. It's not just about hundreds of people um, feeling the satisfaction of cleaning a park or putting paint on a wall so that an academic community can thrive and the students can thrive. It's a lot more than that. Uh, I love what it represents about substance, uh, what it represents about this house. Uh, Serve Day isn't just about July 16 in this house. It's not about the message on July 17. It's about a way that we see the world and our responsibility in the world. We can see this in all the ways that we can engage from Mana Market to Love This City to Foster One, the ways that small groups engage in their community from taking care of refugee families to I saw a bunch of you were out in a local parade this week. Man, it's incredible that the ethos of this house represents the DNA of the kingdom and that is to engage in our community. Uh, I want to take a moment to actually to say thank you to Pastor Peter and Carolyn, our lead pastors. Um, a lot of times people come in and we, we get some incredible national speakers that come in and they understand Pastor Peter and Carolyn and Substance from a national kind of a 3,000 foot view back here. And they're thanking them because they have an apostolic voice, because they're good communicators, because they're great authors, because maybe they've spoken or invested into their church. And, and I think it's great to honor them that way. But as somebody whose family is deeply impacted by being part of this community, I want to thank them for being incredible pastors, um, for how they lead in our church. Yeah, it's different. How they lead, how they lead in our house how they lead in our community, how they lead in this moment, and, and where we're heading, it, it's just thrilling. Uh, the other reason why I love Serve Day is because I think that it represents a critical expression of what it means to live in the kingdom. It's the part of me that wants to roar. Like, it is a catalyst for us 
as individuals and as a community for us to thrive. And trust me, you were designed to thrive. Every single one of you, whether you are 9, 10, 11, and 12 in here, whether you are in high school, whether you're in college, whether you got little kids, whether you got kids out of the house, whether you are single, you were created to thrive. This is part of the design. Now, I understand that not everybody in the house and not everybody that's watching would identify themselves as a Christ follower. But if you are a Christ follower, we have been invited into this beautiful design. It's almost like a, it's a new operating system for our brain. It's a new way to see the world. It's a way to thrive. It's a way to engage in this beautiful idea that we see all the way from the Garden of Eden throughout Scripture, best represented by the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite messages, orations, communication speeches that he gave is in Matthew 5. It's this, this uh, you could call it a sermon, um, some call it the Sermon on the Mount. Some call it the Beatitudes. I like to re refer to it as an unruly rabbi on the side of the mountain telling a whole bunch of people about a new way to live. And I got to imagine they're listening going, what? And he's like, hey, you've heard it said this way. You think your life is supposed to look like this. You think being a part of the culture says this. But here's what I'm telling you. Here's how you can live. And it is a clear call to live differently. It's a beautiful call. And yet, if we're not careful, sometimes different creates distance. We think that different means that we should be defined by what we don't do rather than what we are for. And that distance then can create isolation. It can create little pockets of cloistered people living one way and having no influence in the world around them. And yet, in John 17, it says that we're supposed to be in the world and not of the world. Holding intention, these two different things. I grew up at a church that was very uh, uh, foundational to my spiritual journey, and I love what they taught me, but oftentimes what I heard was, don't go to the movie theaters. Don't listen to the radio, unless it's Caleb. <laughs> don't go to that eating or drinking establishment. Don't hang out with those people. And we, if we're not careful, are defined by what we don't instead of, what we do. How do we hold intention as people who are followers of the way, followers of Jesus, part of the kingdom of God, but also holding intention this dominant culture that is trying to, uh, like a current, pull us away from the way that we're supposed to be living? And then how do we engage in that culture in a way that transforms that? If we're not careful, we can move from not being isolated to just being kind of indiscriminate participants in culture. Not really thinking intentionally about what we do or don't participate in. Just going, hey, I'm gonna be available, I'm gonna be here, and we just all of a sudden let culture permeate us in a way that we don't fully understand where kingdom living starts and where something else has kind of watered it down so that it's a mixture of weirdness that's not satisfying for anybody. I saw a product the other day, and so I said, that, that's what it looks like when we don't hold intention, our kingdom citizenship, and that we're living within a dominant culture. This is what it looks like, at least to me. Mayoral. <laughs> that, 
This is what some of y'all's life looks like. May Oreo. All right, on its own, mayo serves a purpose. Oreos are good. Together, mm, not so good. This is what happens when we are not intentional, when we just indiscriminately allow whatever is happening around us to infiltrate us. And yet, Scripture clearly, and with a lot of hope, there is a design for us to hold intention the citizenship of the kingdom while we participate in the world around us, which is why I love Serve Day. In Daniel, Daniel is a book in the First Testament, we see an example of what it looks like to thrive in the current culture without compromising our values. What it looks like for us to prioritize our citizenship and at the same time to engage our culture in a way that's transformational. And Daniel's a great story now. Some of you know Daniel uh, from singing vegetables that you show your kids, right? And that's good. Others of you, like Daniel, maybe you're Bible nerds and you know that it's apocalyptic literature and you look for signs of the times, and those are all good. But this morning, with us together on this Serve Weekend, I want to talk about what Daniel has to say to us about what it looks like for us to thrive in exile. Daniel and his four buddies were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. And exile, that's not a word that we use a lot around here unless you're a parent and you exile your child to his or her room for a long time. But exile is this idea of I was born or I belong in one culture, one space, and I've been taken and put in another space, and what do I do with that? Daniel and his buddies were taken from Jerusalem and put in Babylon. And Babylon was an entirely different culture. They had to learn a new language, new customs, all of those type of things. But somewhere in there, from age 17, which is kind of Daniel 1, up through Daniel 6, which is kind of the, the narrative. At 6, Daniel's about 70 years old. So across those 53 years or so, they've learned how to thrive. They have been promoted. They have been part of helping the community around them. And... They haven't compromised who they are. They are still these incredible uh, God followers or followers of the way, so much so that some people are like, I am tired of how much favor these guys have, and so they're out to get Daniel. They're out to get Daniel by making a decree that he's got to bow to a king, and they know that this is going to go against some of Daniel's core values. So we are going to look at Daniel and simply three things that we can do to thrive while we're holding intention our primary kingdom of citizenship and living in this kingdom around us. And the first thing that Daniel does in Daniel 6 is it's a, Daniel creates space daily to prioritize his citizenship. That's the first thing that, that he does. Now, let's read in Daniel 6 what's happening. Remember, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him. They're saying, hey, we're going to get you to compromise because we need you to be more like us. You you make me mad because you're thriving, living your core principles, and I want you to water things down and to be like us. So this is what happens. Daniel says, says three times a day, he, Daniel, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And if you are somebody that's reading in paper book, you can underline or highlight. If you're doing it digitally, you can highlight. It says, just as he had done before. And I want to focus on that because from age 17 to now age 70, three times a day, he creates space to prioritize his citizenship. You may be thinking, why didn't you just make it easier? That's a lot of syllables. Why didn't you just say he prayed three times a day? Is that the secret sauce? Well, praying is important. 
clearly. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Peter talked about praying and reading the Bible and, and gave some really practical steps on how to engage in that. But, but this is more, oftentimes our prayers are, hey, I need this from you, God. I need direction here. I need a miraculous healing. I need you to help my heart. I need you to give me direction. I need to celebrate. They're all things that we do, we do, we do that we're asking for. Here, what we're seeing is he created space to prioritize his citizenship. What he's doing is he's simply creating time to focus on what's most important. So I'm not telling you how you should pray, when you should pray, how often you should pray, but do you create time to prioritize? Daniel would actually open a window and physically face Jerusalem as a posturing. This posturing said, that's my most important citizenship. That's gotta drive the decisions I make. That's gotta drive how I participate, how I don't participate. That's gotta drive because tough things may happen and I need to know what to do. Have you prioritized your citizenship? We, we prioritize a lot. I'm a married man, and it's important for me to prioritize my marriage. If, this is free, if you don't prioritize your marriage, you will have mayoral marriage. <laughs> it will be a mess. And ain't nobody got time for mayoral marriages, right? Your kids don't have time for a mayoral marriage. We, it's a weird, if I don't spend time and go, the most important thing is my time with my wife more than success at work, more even than time with my kids. What does it look like for me to not indiscriminately allow my time to be sucked, but to prioritize time? It's what we do. I had to prioritize that thing. Maybe you're not married, or maybe that doesn't hit for you. I and just stay with me for a minute. I know you're not going to be happy about this, many of you. I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I could hear, I could, I could hear Lambeau Field from my backyard. Currently, my parents, if I go in their backyard now, I can see the Jumbotron. Now, I, I am currently exiled into the purple country. And so I have to prioritize my citizenship six times a week. I go on to my Packer app and I read the insider inbox to find out what's going on in the promised land. Yeah. <laughs> and it is the way, hey, don't judge. I have to prioritize my citizenship so that I don't somehow succumb to the purple vortex that's surrounding me. At your work, what you stream, at your school, your friends, are you prioritizing what's most important? It's the key for us to be able to thrive. There's a song, and I'm not gonna sing it for you because even though I have long hair, I don't have a dreamy voice like Sam, uh, that says, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. Something, something, there's a lion inside of your lungs, let it roar. If you don't feel like you're roaring, let's start by prioritizing a kingdom that is gonna give you access to a beautiful design. And then it goes to the next thing that Daniel does, and Daniel defines his non-participation, which might sound weird, because I thought we were gonna talk about how we can engage our community, how we can engage the culture around us without letting it infiltrate and seep. The way that we start there is by defining our non-participation. This is what every good revolutionary knows. And I don't know if you've been a part of any revolutions lately uh, in Cuba or I think about the Revolutionary War. I'm not calling us all to arms with our black powder muskets and tomahawks, but what I am saying is that Jesus on the side of the mountain, this unruly rabbi said, I've got a new way for you to live. 
And in order for you to understand the new way, you gotta understand which ways things are in conflict. And what do we do when they're in conflict? Do we know when they're in conflict and how do we prioritize those things? If we don't do that, Maorio, your life will look like nasty sauce. So what are those things? We, we know some of the core things because, because the dominant culture celebrates individualism, celebrates impulse, celebrates consuming. It celebrates those types of things so that you don't have to have any kind of impulse control. It's all about you and what feels good and what you do. And so this bleeds into how we view things like sex, money, power, kind of the three big things that I am so thankful that we speak clearly about in this house. I was just uh, re-watching a teaching from Pastor Peter on First Wednesdays. If you don't go to First Wednesdays, it's really great. You can also go to substancechurch.com slash First Wednesday. And December 2021, he did an incredible message on power and money, probably some of the best teachings I've ever heard. Deciding how we do and don't participate. What is our non-participation? How do you let the non-participation inform what you can and can't do? One of the places where we can look is in Scripture. Taking time to know what Scripture says. We're in this series where two weeks ago, Pastor Peter talked about, hey, just start reading Scripture, two minutes a day. Just start so that you know what we're about and what we are going to not do. And then last week, he talked about listening to the prophetic voice, which was so beautiful. I'm going to give you one verse to chew on this week. We're not going to unpack it huge, but... It, First of all, Daniel, sorry. Daniel said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. To give context, so the decree was everybody has to bow. Daniel, from age 17, prioritizes his citizenship. So when this happens, he's like, that's a non-starter for me. That is a non-starter. It doesn't matter if I'm going to get killed. It doesn't matter what people think about me. It just doesn't matter. That's a non-starter. Deciding the things that we're not going to bow to. Sex, money, power. How do we not bow to that? But more importantly, how do we not bow to individualism, consumerism, impulse, or the lack of impulse control? Proverbs 6 gives us a few other things that we should consider that we don't participate in. Here are six things the Lord hates, seven that's detestable to him. That's just kind of nice poetry speak. Here's the seven. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These are things that the kingdom hates. Doesn't mean if you do these things, the kingdom hates you. These are just our points of non-participation. And ha have you taken some time to think, hey, am I participating in any of these haughty eyes? That's just like fancy speak for being prideful, looking down at people. Do you look down at people? Different ethnicity, different economic status, different voting status, different place that they live. Maybe you look down on them because you are part of the kingdom and they're not, so you look down on them. Maybe you look down on a family member because they don't see the world the way you do. They make different parenting choices than you do. This says, haughty eyes, we're not supposed to be looking down on people. Uh-oh. Okay, a lying tongue. Now, I'm not talking about the big lies, you know, like, hey, yeah, I used to be a professional athlete, which nobody would believe, right? 
But you know, the, the little lies that benefit you often at the expense of other people, and, and we go down, violence. I love a heart that devises wicked schemes. We think, you know, I'm not Rupert Madoch. I didn't create this huge financial scheme to my benefit, but let's put a different word there, manipulation. Do you find yourself manipulating the truth, the story, your account, how you treat people, how you treat relationships, that it benefits you at the expense of other people? Well, that's a non-starter for the kingdom. And if we're honest, if we want to thrive, we've got to look at these things and go, I'm going to take seriously some of these non-starters. We go all the way down, number seven, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I always think this, I know it's talked about a lot, but what if everybody had to come up and we had to look at your social media feed and talk about how your social media feed reflects these things? Are you stirring up conflict? Are you being haughty? Here's my view and here's why everybody else is wrong. Or, or are there ways for us to engage without compromising our core beliefs, but how do we engage in a way for us to thrive? Which brings us to the third and final, Daniel determined his participation. This is my favorite, the funnest, if you will. It's why I love Serve Day. And when I say I love Serve Day, okay, I like the idea of Serve Day. I like that I got to say I did Serve Day. If you saw my house before we went to Serve Day, ain't nobody was having fun. I got five kids and there was like, I mean, not, not actual violence, but in my head, scenarios, you know, and you know, we all get in the car and we get out of the car and we show up at church like, hey, glory, hallelujah. Let's seek the peace and prosperity of the city, right? So I'm not saying we have to always feel it, but we do have to determine before the feeling how we're going to participate. Daniel, we know in Daniel 9, he's meditating on some scripture. And the scripture was letters from a guy named Jeremiah. And we know in Jeremiah 29 that he's writing that letter back to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah 29, you might like Jeremiah 29. It's pretty fun, you know. I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to prosper, right? We love that one. But what does prospering look like? And in Jeremiah 29, here's, here's what Daniel was meditating on. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what you should do. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, all right? Go vegan. No, just kidding. As long as it has meat, it's fine. Um, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Candace, on our road trip, will work on this for Justice and Lola uh, so that they too may have sons and daughters, plural, uh, increasing in number, not to decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile holding intention, followers of the way, the kingdom of God, and at the same time seeking the peace and prosperity of the city. How do we do that? It starts by understanding what it means to seek peace and what peace is. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean a homogenous group of people all thinking, believing, and acting the same way. It doesn't mean that. Peace is interconnected thriving of all people, even if they're different than you. Even if they think, act, behave, whatever it is, how do I care specifically? Scripture asks us, points us, prepares us to see brokenness. Brokenness in groups, brokenness in individual people, brokenness 
in a building that we painted yesterday, but to see brokenness and go, we are uniquely equipped as Christ followers because we are not driven by self-gratification. We are not driven by individualism. We are not driven by consumption for ourselves, but we are emissaries of a kingdom that invites us to see broken and be part of the healing, the redemptive work that represents the kingdom. So seeking peace is about asking, what am I doing to help the interconnected thriving in my neighborhood, in my city, in my relationships? And if you are not asking that question, we are missing a huge opportunity to thrive. If you're not asking the question, you're probably a little bit more Maorio than you'd like. I get to work with an organization called Venture that Substance supports. We work in some of the most difficult places on the planet addressing human trafficking, refugee crisis, and extreme poverty. And with every project and every program, we attach church planting. One of the great fits between Substance and Venture is our emphasis on church planting. Last year, in partnership with Substance, we were able to plant 940 brand new churches in some of the most difficult areas to bring about and to do this. These churches are seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city, seeking, actively going towards my, uh, our international partners teach us a lot about scripture. One of the things that we wanna be careful to do is learn as much from our partners as they learn from us. And their passion for their neighbor, for their communities to engage is, is uh, it, to me, it's so inspiring. And my all-time favorite hero is Hannah. And I've told part of her story before. I will quickly update everybody. Hannah's uh, and her sister lived in a village where up to 70% of the girls and boys were trafficked. At a young age, Hannah's sister was trafficked. And before she was rescued, it's estimated that she was abused 20,000 times. Hannah had the opportunity to go to a safe house that we partner to facilitate. And not only did she have safety, but she had nutritious meals, national leading education, and she was introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. Her words said changed her life. As a result, she ends up graduating, to our knowledge, the first body woman, that is the lowest caste in all of the country to graduate from college. Her story is so moving that She's had opportunity to come to the U.S. and tell her story, and while she was here, it moved so many people that she got two, she got offered two full-ride scholarships to Christian universities. She also had a lawyer that said, hey, I would like to get you a green card so you can be a U.S. citizen. Her life, talk about prosperity, was laid out. For somebody that is considered the lowest to have access to this kind of knowledge, this kind of freedom, this type of thing is incredible. But Hannah didn't stop there. She asked this other question, how do I seek the peace and prosperity of my community? So when COVID hit and there was lockdowns in Nepal and some of the girls that were in safe houses had to go back to their communities, they called Hannah in the US and they said, what are we gonna do? And Hannah said, I'm gonna seek the peace of the city. And so she gave up the scholarship, she gave up citizenship and she went back to a deep lead dark, dark place. And she rents a 400 square foot studio apartment and she lets some people come live with her. Not one, two, three, four, five, but 10 in 400 square feet. And while she's doing that, she starts 
this nonprofit, the first female-led nonprofit that addresses some of these issues like gender-based violence and feminine hygiene and anti-trafficking, and it plants churches. And later this month, she's gonna be delivering 5,000 feminine hygiene kits, and with every single kit, her sisters will be sharing the hope of the gospel that transforms lives, seeking the peace of the city. And if that wasn't enough, she went to another community connected to the work that we do, and she said, hey, if their girls are gonna be back in this community, we have to provide safety, we have to seek the peace of this community. So she worked with local municipalities, and we came up with a program where we would build houses for single caregivers who were caring for eight to 10 kids. Here's all they had to do. They had to agree to not sell their kids. And they had to agree to keep them in school. And they had to help build the house. And we finished three, we're on to eight, we have plans for 150, but here's what's already happened. Academic attendance is up, trafficking's down. The village brothel, Shut down. Yeah. A church, a church has been planted. Oh, and we needed a brick factory to make the houses. So job creator, we started a factory. All right? This, because Hannah intentionally asked, how do I seek the peace of the city? Last week, I had a text from her. says, hey, pray for me. I'm going to something dangerous. Okay. The next day, she texts me. See these four girls? I flew to India and rescued them from a brothel. Because Hannah's seeking the peace of the city. And you may say, everybody loves stories like this. They are moving, they're inspirational. You can understand why Hannah is a hero to me. But then we stop short and go, but that's not me. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not body. I don't live in Nepal. I don't run a nonprofit. I don't do all of those things. But do you intentionally create space to prioritize your citizenship and ask, how am I seeking the peace of the city? What does that look like for me to intentionally not just like a story or like a weekend or like a day or wear a red t-shirt, but to actually say for me and my family, how do we seek the peace of the city? If you ask that, you, scripture promises, will thrive. You will hold intention. Your life, your marriage, your job will no longer be mayorio. It will be something else. And one of the reasons why I love being a part of Substance is because there are so many practical engagement ways that we can start doing that right here. Just go to substancechurch.com slash lovethiscity and find starting points. And it's for all ages. My kiddos, my littlest kiddos, six and seven, are in a small group this summer that's literally called Love This City. Look at this. This is crazy. Look at these kiddos. They are putting together kits for Manor Market at every age, mom, dad. Grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, single person, married person. If we would all ask this question, what does it mean to seek the peace of the city? My buddy who planted an ark church that Substance supported, I was with him last week. He's like, dude, I got a pair of shoes for you. I'm like, and he showed me these shoes. I'm like, oh, those are a little too fancy for me. I'm, I'm squarely a gray Chucks guy. My dress chucks, my work chucks. I mean, I'm just a chucks guy. I know this is a van's house, but I'm a chucks guy. And he gave me these shoes. And these shoes say, seek peace. On the side, it says, choose a path of peace. And I love this because in Ephesians 6, the writer 
He's talking to us as Christ followers, if that's how you identify yourself, and says, hey, here's the uniform that you're supposed to put on, and it's a bunch of things that we're supposed to wear to be ambassadors, to thrive in the kingdom. And one of the things is the preparation of the gospel of peace, which is an alliteration and hard to say, quite frankly, uh, but it simply means putting on shoes that actively seek peace. There is motion. There is motion that has to move past this morning or when you're streaming. It's why we say church starts when we leave the building. There is motion. In the Proverbs, it says, here's one of the things God doesn't like is when you head towards evil. And then in Ephesians, it says, but here's where you can head, towards peace. I believe we're meant to thrive. This is a house of thriving. But for you, it has to start with a choice. It has to start with a choice. Am I going to create space to prioritize my citizenship? Am I going to define my non-participation? And will I intentionally this week ask God, how do I seek peace? We in my family, we have answers for ourselves. It, that answers to that question has brought us to foster care, to work in the city through the Civil Rights Commission, to fight rampant violence in the, in the neighborhoods we live. That, that's one of the ways that we do it, but there are so many other ways. We have small groups that are taking care of refugees. We have people that are actively engaged in their schools. We have people that are reaching out. There are so many ways, but it doesn't start with cut and paste what somebody else is doing. It starts with, dear God, how do I seek peace? Dear God, I realize my life might be a little bit more mayoral than I'd like. And one of the things that I love about Serve Day is that it was thousands of churches and tens of thousands of people doing its best to say the church is not mayoral. The church is a body of thriving people pointing to a beautiful way. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, bow your head. If you're a Christ follower, would you just consider what it looks like for you this week to seek peace? To just begin to take steps, prayer, what does it mean to seek peace? If you are somebody who would not identify yourself as a Christ follower, this morning is a great morning. We talked about prioritizing your citizenship. Yesterday in Serve Day, I talked to a gentleman. I'm like, hey, how'd you come across Substance? He's like, oh, my son's uh, invited me to come. I'm like, oh, that's great. How long ago? About nine months. I'd been away from God for 20 years. Now I've restored my relationship with God, and he talked about the next nine months being some of the most difficult of his life. Went through kind of tragedy after tragedy, and he just said, man, I don't know what I would do without this community and without my restored relationship with God. That's available to every person here. A restored relationship with God that gives you access to a beautiful new design. And so if that's you, you can simply pray uh, with me, repeat after me, and I'm going to invite everybody to do it because we're a family. That's what we say. Dear God, forgive me, renew me, and lead me today and for the rest of my life. God, help us not to live like Mayorial. Help us to thrive. Amen. We're going to let our campus pastors tell us where we're going next. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.